After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! 
and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome the UFC 281 hangover guys it's real and coming up on today's show I'm gonna dive into the mystery that is Alex Pierre I'm gonna talk about the psychology he used against Adesanya and the comparisons between Pierre and Leon Edwards plus is Piera the worst middleweight champion we've ever seen? And what's next for Dustin Poirier? Let's waste no time and get into it now. Walk down a road of silliness with me, okay? Come on this journey. Come on this journey. Let me bounce you around a little bit and stay with me. Now, I don't know Piera well enough. The champion of the world... He never had a featured match. He was never in a main event. Someone somewhere said that he beat Adesanya and someone else said that he had done it twice and someone somewhere else tied it all together and said he only came over here to beat Adesanya again. Like, that's a really compelling story that all turned out to be true, but it was never really told. It was, it was told in bits. It was broken up. It was very clumsy. Never had a big camera on him. But he had Ed Soros saying he was great. Ed would know a great fighter. He had Glover Teixeira putting his name and face on it by coming in his corner and saying this guy is a problem for everyone. Glover went further. That includes on the ground. His wrestling stuff, his jiu-jitsu. You know, you get this talk, but you're getting this from guys that don't really talk. Ed Soros had represented more world champions than I could keep track of for eras and generations. I don't remember Ed ever coming out and praising his guy. His guys would go in there and fight, and they win, and that was where the praise came. I don't remember Ed doing it. I don't remember George doing it. Glover Teixeira has fought for world championships and pay-per-views and had his own media days. I don't remember him saying those things about himself. How great he was and things, you know, talking about him. Oh, it's really unbelievable. I don't remember Glover doing that. But he did it for this guy named Piera, who's not even a main eventer, who's not even a co-main eventer. But he allegedly had beaten Adesanya in some kickboxing. All right. So now we see Piera. Now we see that he's great. Now we have the whole story. Those kickboxing matches didn't sit well with him, even though he won. The community said he didn't win the first one, which is why he went and did the second one. He was losing the second one until he knocked him out. That's just fine with him. His hand was raised, but that's not the way the story got told. The story got told you caught him and you got lucky. You've now beaten him twice and you showed you weren't the better fighter either time. That would be hard for anybody. So he comes over into the UFC and I have to wonder when this is done. I mean, I must wonder, is he the kind of competitor? Because everybody ticks to something. There is no psychology of MMA. There is no psychology of soccer. There's a, a psychology of an athlete who may do MMA or he may do soccer. If he does great in MMA with his psychology, it's great. But you see where, but if it's bad, then he's got a bad side. But it's not the same. It's not one size fits all. So there's something that makes Piera tick. And it appears to me possibly that he doesn't tick until he has an urgency and he doesn't feel urgent until he's almost out of time. The one thing that will stop all fights, it's not cuts, it's not the doctors, it's not separating from consciousness or even busting your arm. The one thing that will stop all fights if we don't do that first is time. It will run out. It seems possibly, I gotta say possibly, I don't know the guy well enough. 
Possibly he's one of the competitors who builds an urgency and whose motivation goes up as he has less time to get said job done. What if that's true? What if he's letting Adesanya win the early rounds? In terms of, I'm going to do enough. I'm going to keep you working. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to hit you where I can, but I don't have an urgency. I don't care if you clack the 30-second timer. I don't care if you clack the 10-second timer. I'm not going to go on a sprint. I'm not going to try to steal this round. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to work you. But it's all to set you up for later where I'm going to finish you. What if he did work that way? That's all I'm asking. And I don't superpose that he's going to come out and tell us. I don't even superpose that he knows that about himself. It would have to be you. It would have to be an observer of his career that saw the body of work and was able to type commonalities with no matter what the score was. In the final frame, he was different. He was better. He was at his best. If we can identify that successfully, I mean, almost like scientifically, we will then know that he's that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy where the urgency goes up as the time comes down. People that do that, sports reporters, he, sports reporters they don't ever know what they're talking about. They just got a nice suit and their dad was like an uncle at some point. So they, they get the spot at the desk. But they like to tell you, those guys have ice running through their veins. Those guys can deal with pressure better. That's not the situation. They didn't need to be calm. And they weren't aware of the pressure. They had a plan the entire time. And it was to look great at the end. That created an urgency. That created an absolute need. There's a law in life, and you guys will know this, whether it was with your schoolwork or whatever jobs you have now. There's a law. However much time you have to do something is how much time it's going to take to do that. If you're building a subdivision, right? And you, you got five months to get it, but at five months, you got to pull off because you got to go to another subdivision. You've got to be done. Believe me, there's not a house in there that will be done in 60 days. Not one. Not a house that will be done in 90 days. They will be done the final week of the five months. It's just a thing about human psychology. But what if Pierre is this way? What if Pierre, because Pierre and Adesanya are going to fight again. For sure, that's the next fight. I'm telling, I'm telling, I'm not making a guess here. I'm giving you information. What if? I told you we're going to get silly. Here's where we get silly. Are you ready for me? What if in that fight, Adesanya makes sure Piera wins the first round? Adesanya does however little he has to do to make sure against Piera's will that Piera wins the first round. What if? Would Adesanya have just succeeded in taking the urgency away from his nemesis? Would Adesanya succeed if he made sure that Piera had points? Piera, at the end of the fight, doesn't have to stop him, doesn't have to knock him out. Would that reduce Piera's urge to do that? Because Pierre is not controlling this. Make sure you understand. That's why I said we don't need to go ask Pierre and ask him if Chael's right. Hey, are you one of these guys that rope-a-dopes the whole time and comes on at the end? We don't need his opinion because he doesn't know. 
We would need an outside observer that's seen him. We could even go get Alyssa that showed us all of his fights. We can really break this down by the numbers. How often does he win the first round? How often does he win the second round? When he gets knockouts, how close is that to the end of the fight as opposed to the beginning of the fight? It's very scientific and we could break this down. I'm just asking you, if we found out that Pierre was one of these guys whose urgency and motivation goes up as time expires, if Adesanya gave him the first round. Would he then take away accidentally, not on purpose, it's a subconscious within his opponent, would he take away the desire and the urgency and the necessity of finding completion on his own from his opponent? It's a very interesting concept. I mean, you're talking about an art of war to the highest level. If we find out the answer is yes, right, I'm well aware that Adesanya doesn't then go do that. You don't give moments, so we don't give anything away. I, But stay with me. It's very important that you know everything about your enemy. Everything. If you can find out what he likes to have for breakfast in the morning, go find that out. You can find out what time he goes to bed at night. If you Everything you can possibly study about your enemy and get information on is helpful. But even if you could talk to the enemy, even if you get the interview, that's not where you get the information because there's something called a subconscious. And I just wonder on Piera, is his tick when time's running out? So I've already seen, I knew I would see this, but I've already seen it. is the better fighter if we didn't do five rounds. If they did three rounds like a normal MMA fight, Adesanya would beat him and he'd beat him every time. You don't know that. You just know if you could stop after those three rounds that you saw. You don't know what it is that drives Piera. You don't know what his plan and strategy was, but neither does he. Neither does he. He didn't turn to Glover Teixeira after the second round, say, did I lose that one? Do I got to go knock him out? He didn't say it after the third round or after the fourth round. He said it just prior to the fifth round, just prior to the last round. The only time that he asked, what is the score? What do we need to do here? The only time that he cared was when there wasn't going to be any time left. It's a fascinating concept. It is. It goes much, much deeper than a surface level discussion that we've had on this. Well, I knew he had to knock him out, so he walked out and knocked him out. I, I know that's what it appeared. No, this is deep. This is incredible. If you had the ability to do that, why wouldn't have you done that the first five minutes? I would. If I had the ability to do it and I didn't have to work hard all night, I would have done that. I think you guys would have too. Makes perfect sense. You could probably go say that to Pierre. And he's like, yes, it makes perfect sense. But he can't, he can't force it to happen. You can't force motivation in yourself, guys. Life would be great every day if you had the ability to just be happy. If you had the ability to control any emotion, life would be great. There has to be a certain circumstance, a certain situation. It's called a house being on fire that gets you to step up and be your best. I'm suggesting for you, perhaps with Piera, the absence of time ups the urgency and the motivation to go get a job done. And what would happen if he didn't have that? What would happen if Adesanya took that away from him? Don't tell me you don't find that interesting. business book i mean even against your will dad handed to you mom handed to her maybe someday you got this great hype you're going you go buy a business book and i ask it against your will because i know that's not required learning shockingly and sadly but it isn't required learning 
Not in high school in America, not in college in America. You've got to go and seek that out. I'm just asking if you ever have. And let's back it up just a little bit when I say book. Have you read an article? Have you been online? He kind of read how some guy did it. It was a rags to riches and he came from nothing, but he had a belief, right? Jeff Bezos' story would be a fine example. Guy gets this bright idea he's going to sell books and he does it out of his garage, right? Goes on to be the world's richest man. If you've ever read a business book, you've read a lie. With no exception. There's never been one written where the person has told the truth. Now, it's not because they're a bad person. They just rewrite history, and we do that as human beings. A business guy will tell you things like, I knew. And the one thing that I knew, you'll always, and but the one thing that I knew, and then it was some belief that he had, and the world was going to go to this different direction, and people were going to, I mean, it's one of these weird things where you didn't know. You saw an opportunity, and you had the action to take it right. Business is only three steps. You have an idea, you have funding, and you have execution. That is it. But you'll always meet these guys that wanted to, I knew. I could be the one because I knew. They always say that. It's a very common thing. And I see fighters do it too. You will have a fighter that will have a moment that is what dreams are made of. It was awesome. They got a ton of money. They get recognition. Very rare thing. You all have jobs. Do you ever get recognized for your job? I mean, it's a very rare thing. It's a very special thing. They get some fame and notoriety. They get to cut the line down at their local strip club. I mean, it's the whole bit. It's not enough. It's not enough. That victory was not enough. They had to have known. They had to have planned. They had to have executed. They had to have seen it. George Forburn versus Michael Moore. Now, George seems like a perfectly nice guy. I've really never seen where I didn't like George Foreman. I don't like the sportsmanship showed by George Foreman when he got his ass kicked by Michael Moore. Boom, got one through the guard and knocked him out at the last minute to become the oldest heavyweight champion of all time. Like, that's an amazing story, but you didn't have to set him up. That didn't have to be your plan. You and your coach didn't have to work on that for months. You didn't have to know. You stayed in there, man. You stayed in the battle. No matter how bad it was going, you kept trying because you're a competitor. And by God, never give up. The truth is enough, but they won't let it go. George has to tell the story that he set up that punch all night long. He kept hitting more, but he never... See, this is George's story. He never turned his hand over. It adds, it adds three to four more inches. He never... All night long, he was hitting him here. So he was throwing the range off. And he waited until Moore got comfortable with the range. But then he went further, and that's how he knocked him out. And he's just like, please... Golly. Please stop. Stop. Just tell us what you did. The Rock has a cheat day, and he eats two cookies a day on that cheat day, and the rest of the time he's up at 4 a.m., and that's how you look like The Rock. Just tell the part about where you stuck a needle in your ass in case somebody goes to copy you. If they want to do it and they want to look like that, and they're going to cut themselves to these two terrible cookies, by the way, tell them that you stuck a needle in your ass so they can do it too, or they can know ahead of time, that's not something that I want to do, so I'm not going to go waste 20 years of my life. You want to know who I haven't heard do that? And I appreciate it. You want to know who I haven't heard do that? Piera. I have not heard Piera tell us that he knew. Oh, in the fifth round. Oh, we all planned for it. 
I was losing the fight. I knew to win the fight, I would have to stop the fight. I went out and looked for the stoppage. In the most risky game you can play in combat, which is fisticuffs. Oh, and by the way, I did it against the skilled striker. It was the riskiest thing you could possibly do. He did it, and it was authentic, and it was real. And we have it on video where he had the conversation with his corner man. He then walked up, pop, 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 and, and, and put him down. He didn't have to know anything. He didn't have to plan anything. He didn't have to rewrite history. I've seen people doing that with Leon's kick, which is just a wonderful moment. Wonderful. I find like every time I talk about Leon, I say something negative. I really admire Leon, for the record. I don't know why. Whatever. Every time we have a tone on Leon, it's uh, you know I, I got to pull him down a little bit. It's not sportsmanlike. It's not sportsmanlike to act as though you set a guy up or as you planned for this or you were holding back in moments. It's not sportsmanlike to say that you worked out in the gym with your coaches. Of course you did. You're not expected to do anything in combat when the house is on fire that you haven't previously worked on in a gym with your coaches. But don't redo the atmosphere. Don't say it was in the fifth round and we were losing the whole thing and I'm exhausted. We don't have to do any of that. I've been looking for that damn shot all night long. I never found it, which is why I kept losing, and it's why I'm exhausted. I don't even know why I went back to the well one more time, considering I had failed all those times, but it was all I knew to do, and now I'm the champion of the world. That is an awesome story. That takes absolutely nothing away from you. Nothing. And I bring that because the comparison to Leon's kick versus to Piera's punches, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as to being out there, being completely exhausted, eating up clock, knowing that you're going to lose as a, and uh, versus what Piera did, which is to be well aware I'm getting beat and I don't have much time left. I must stop him and there's two ways to do it under these rules. Knock him out or submit him. I'm not real good with the submissions. I'm going to go knock him out. That is, it's very different. And Piera has the right to take a massive victory lap right now, but he has not done it. I mean, I got to tell you, Pierre has not been a real media darling. But everything that he's done with the media, I've liked. And I remember it. I don't remember things that I have done with the media. Why do I remember this guy? I don't even know him. I don't know him, and I didn't think he was going to win Saturday. I remember everything he did. I can tell you guys about an Instagram thing that he did where he's riding, I guess, like you call it a hoverboard. Oh, by the way, he's boxing while he does it. I remember this time he kicked a soccer ball in the air, grabbed a archery mechanism, and shot a bow right through the soccer ball. I mean, this stuff is interesting. He seems like a really interesting person to me. But he hasn't lied. He didn't disrespect his opponent. Doesn't matter how much you don't like your opponent. Disrespect him, that's a whole different deal. That's a whole nother game. The sport of football drives me crazy. Crazy. I would, I could never coach it. I can hardly watch it. And they only do two things. They do two things. One is they run onto the field. I watch these college, I watch that, they're jumping up and down. No good athlete in the history of earth would behave that way. You do not use your energy and you do not use your enthusiasm until the clock has started. You will never see Michael Jordan run onto a field jumping up and down like a fool before they start the clock. You will never see Mayweather. You've never seen Serena. You will never see Tiger. No good athlete would run from the locker room to the field jumping up and down. 
They will preserve that energy when the clock starts, right? This is basic biology. These aren't Chael's rules. This is biology. Whatever is red hot can only cool down. So you wait till the clock is going. You've seen all these teams running onto the field. Go rewind the tape and show me a time you saw Joe, saw Joe Montana do it. Tell me one of the times that Manning was in there. Show me where Ronnie Lott was acting like a fool before the game started. Stars will walk onto the field. They got all that same energy. They'll wait till the clock goes. The jobbers that are taking up a spot on the bench, they're the ones that get to run out and bust through the paper and, and hoot and holler. And I only share that with you. I don't like it. I don't like it because I don't get it. I hate football for not running up the score. They believe it's sportsmanlike to not run up the score. I would never teach a kid that. I would never allow that to happen. If I have a kid who can put a beating on another kid, my kid had better go give him that beating. Out of respect. Out of respect. And I've seen it the other way. Coached a young man at autism. His opponent lets him take him down, turn him over, and pin him. The opponent gets off of his back and gives a wink to his coach, who gives the wink back and devastated the whole moment. They thought that was a sign of honor. The young man, of course, saw the wink. His family saw the wink. He never, we lost him. He never competed again. He was devastated that they acknowledged the deficit, that they saw the deficit, and that they show pity to the deficit. He was completely devastated. I don't have the foggiest idea what that other team was thinking, but if I have a kid who can give another kid a beating, he had better do it from bell to bell. If he tries to make that kid look bad, if he tries to tease him or play with him, I will stop the match and my guy will lose. We will forfeit the match. Coach, 22 years, I've only done that one time, but that is how that will go. If you can give someone a beating out of honor and respect, you give them that beating. Football? Football brings in their jobbers. They don't pass the ball. They down it. They run it out of bounds. I would never coach that way. I would never teach that way. I would never let anybody live that way. And people that watch football say, Chill, you're wrong. It's not sportsmanlike to win 80 to 6. Do you not know what the sport is? The sport is determined on a differential of points in the confinement of time. If you are doing something that is against the sport, you're the one that's unsportsmanlike. And if you can beat them 105 to 3, you better beat them 105 to 3. Or you're giving a terrible message to your athletes. You're giving a terrible message to the kids. Those are my opinions. They're not shared by everybody. But when I watch athletes in a moment of victory trying to rewrite what got them there, it's like the prick that sold the business book because he knew something. We trusted you. We admired you. We bought your book. And now you've lied to us. The holidays are right around the corner. And this time of year can be very exciting. But for some of us, it can also be very stressful. You're trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet and shower your loved ones with gifts. Dave is here to help you out if you're in a pinch so you can enjoy the holiday season. I wish I had Dave when I was in my early days of fighting. Boy, those were some really tough times. Lots of struggles. And they were especially roughed around the holidays. Guys, Dave is a banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. With Dave, there's no interest, 
There's no late fees and no credit checks. That's more money to buy those last minute gifts. Catch up on your bills without having to wait for your next paycheck. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you without any of the hangups. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a bind and you need a little bit of help, listen to Uncle Chael and download Dave. The future you will thank you and me. Guys, download the Dave app from the App Store right now or go to dave.com. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly for terms and conditions. Go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Guys, do you remember MMA Live? Does that ring a bell to you? Like you'd have to be a really hardcore fan, you have to go back a long way, but this was one of the first shows ever done on MMA. And it was done on ESPN. And it was only put on the internet but it was a huge opportunity for our sport. Even if it was a little internet show, right? Which the kids now call digital. I don't know why they call it digital instead of saying it's on the internet. Let it go. MMA Live, it it was kind of a first of its kind and great memories from that back then. And I got to participate on that. And I didn't fully know what to do. You had to wear a tie, by example. I didn't have a suit in the time. And when I tell you that I was unequipped for this and it was an opportunity, I didn't even have the clothing that you needed to wear. Nate Diaz had a fight, and prior to the fight, we go in MMA line, we get a little discussion, we we cover it. And Nate was fighting a gentleman I didn't know. I was not familiar with him. Very hard name to pronounce. The guy was a pretty heavy kicker. I just didn't know a lot about him. So when we go out and we're doing the actual show, one of the other analysts and, and people on the show kind of gave a breakdown. Talked about Nate with the jab, but this guy comes outside and he lands the kick and Nate's got to block uh, block that and he's got to fire back and he gives really a good X's and O's and then they come to me and we're live. And I say, yeah, I, I think Nate gets it done. That's what I say. Yeah, I think Nate gets it done. All right, great. The next guy comes in and he bails me out and he kind of does his X and O's. These guys had more experience and I was very new. When the whole thing was done, I get pulled in. Kieran Portley, I get pulled into his office. And he says, hey, when I bring you out here, bring you in from Oregon, put you in this room. When I bring you out here and we go on TV, I need an analysis. I cannot have, yeah, I think he gets it done. That's not an analysis. Okay, I was brand new. I just learned something. Now, simple story. Very simple story, but as we look at who's next for Piera, and I think that it's a very interesting spot. I think it was interesting even going to this fight with Adesanya. Adesanya was the favorite, but if Piera becomes the champion, if you look at the field, they would have been the favorite over Piera. Even as champion, Robert Whitaker would be the favorite to beat Piera. Paulo Costa would be the favorite to beat Pierre. They could come back and show us that that isn't true, but I just always thought that was interesting. Like, that's a very interesting dynamic. So now that the fight's done, and we've got to look, and we've got to see who's next. Now, Adesanya's next. I'm making conversation. Now that we've got to see who's next, and you start to try to guess, but your guess is also who you hope, who you want, 
Robert Whitaker has come out and he said that Pierre, oh, he's so big. And he talked about, you know, I've been face to face with Adesanya. Adesanya's big. But when Pierre is next to Adesanya, Pierre is even bigger than Adesanya. Whitaker talked about, he said, I can't believe this isn't more of a talking point, why people aren't talking about his size and how big he is. And he gets done praising him. And then he simply says, but I think I could take him. Now, when Kieran Portley pulled me into his office and he told me, I need more from you then, yeah, I think he can get it done. If we're going to find a number one contender for Pierre, I need more than I think I can take him. So as, as we're chalking names off the list, right? One, one way to figure out who we're going to go to is who we're going to go to, but you can also do it in reverse order of who we're not going to go to and you see who's left. I think I can take him isn't going to get that done. It's not going to make the match. And at 185 pounds right now, it is a bit of a peculiar spot because you have some really great competitors that are already matched up. Like Sean Strickland versus Jared Canada, that's a really interesting fight, particularly where these guys are finding each other, both coming out, being heartbroken. You know, getting defeated, being on the same night, separated by X amount of minutes. There's just a lot of things there where this isn't just about who the better fighter is. It's also about who emotionally can respond. One thing we know about life, guys, right? Whatever goes up must come down. They were both up there, both on a little bit of a down. But how are you going to respond to that awesome matchup? Paulo Costa, Robert Whitaker, two absolute st- awesome matchup. But they're busy. That's all I'm sharing for you. These guys are busy. Brunson's got something to do. Till's got something to do. Duplicy's got something to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those spots where as you start to look through it, whether you're going upwards or down, figure out who should do it or who's not going to do it, see who's left. You still come to Adesanya. Both ways still comes to Izzy, but there, there could be a dialogue on that. There could be a back and forth. There could be a fight. There's not going to be a dialogue. There's not going to be back and forth, and there's not going to be a fight. If the greatest thing we have to work with is, I think I can take him. Okay, guys, I spent a lot of time talking about the middleweights of UFC 281, but now I want to move over to another division that had the spotlight on Saturday, 155 pounds. Dustin Poirier says that he's interested in Benny Darush. In fact, if I was to quote Dustin Poirier, he said Benny Darush makes the most sense. Now, I get that that's not a salacious or a scandalous line. You're not going to have a big buildup for that fight. You're just not. It's never going to get more intense than it is right now where Chandler says it makes sense. I just want to break that down for you. It's very hard to get a fighter to say it makes sense. As light as that word might be, if a fighter uses it, even though that's not very provocative, I'm just sharing with you, it encompasses a lot. For Dustin to say that fight makes sense, okay, whoa, we've sold you. That's hard to do. Particularly with the top guys, particularly with main event guys, particularly somebody who has the right to be basking in the glow of victory right now. Not only a victory, a fight of the year candidate, the fight of the night winner, the Madison Square Garden, right? there's all these different things where he would be on what we call cloud nine. And he said that fight makes sense. You don't have to get much more done than that. Let me give you an example, guys. I work for Scott Coker. I work for Dana White. People love to ask me the question, what's the difference? What's the big difference between those two? And the answer is this. 
The number one word for Dana. Number one, interesting. If you want to do something, if you're making a pitch to Dana, he must find it interesting. Scott Coker, if you're making a pitch, the number one thing he's looking to do is fun. If Dana responds to you and says the word interesting, whoa, all right, you're on pretty good footing. If Coker responds to you and says the word fun, you're on good footing. Fighters, I'm just, I'm sharing this language with you because as Dustin says that makes sense and you think, well, that was not interesting and I'm going to move on to the next thing. No, back up. If you It's a big deal. And it's actually very difficult, as frustrating as it is, to get a fighter, particularly the top guys, to understand something that makes sense. It's hard to do. So the fact that Dustin started there, that means we're on third base already. We didn't have to warm up and get to first. As we didn't, we're starting on third base. It's a huge sign. Now, you know DeRouche will do the fight. I'm only sharing this for you because there's two fights floating around out there. I just want to talk to him real loosely. DeRouche, I believed to be fighting Charles Oliveira. I've shared with you guys that I think that. I never got stronger on that, but I had inside school. I, I had some real good source to know that. My source being Benny Darouche. I thought he was going to fight with Charles Oliveira. Now, this was on the heels of Oliveira. Oliveira said two things, and it's very tough, right? You don't ever judge a guy. We don't judge Charles for this. The second he leaves the cage, whatever he does, he gets a pass. Good or bad, but, but he gets a pass. We understand that's not him. But he said two things, talking about Charles here, in the course of a week. One was immediately after the fight, which is get me back in there. As quickly as you, whatever it means and whoever, would, all I'm saying, get me back in there. But within a week, when he calmed down just a little bit, he said, I'm going to take a break. So they were polar opposites from the same guy. How do we reconcile that? Okay. I had the Benny DeRouche information, though. I thought this was the direction we're going to go. That is also a fight that makes sense. And now you insert Poirier, but we don't know where Charles is at. Right? We have two different, we have two statements for Charles and they're, they're totally different. Generally in life, whichever one we have more recent is the one that we believe to be the truth for right now, which would create a spot for Benny, which would be very hard for Benny to get opposite Chandler only because Chandler is a main event guy. He's a co-main event guy. He's big fight championship. He's, he's, he's a different guy, but he's already said yes. Saying it makes sense, just so you understand the language of fighters is a very, very strong word. So where do we go with that? What do those guys fight for? What is this fight is about? Is it what Khabib suggested, which the number one thing on this fight is just the placement. We're going to do it in Perth. The reason Khabib wanted it placed here is so that we could use those two athletes should the main event fall apart. We could grab from one of them, slide them up. That was Khabib's number one motivation, not just the competition and not just seeing it, not just to establish a number one contender. His number one thought was, let's get them ready, let's get them in shape, let's get them in the right location. Okay. Another fight going around. Gilbert Burns versus George Masvidal. Now, that's a hard fight to make in my opinion. They're just, they're going to get met with resistance. As soon as I heard this idea, which was at least a month ago, I knew right then, that's going to be a hard fight to make. 
And the math on it is pretty clear. That's a super hard match. We can all agree that, okay? The more popular guy is not the favorite. When the more popular guy is the favorite over a fight that the fans want and both guys are willing to do, it's an easy fight to make. When the more popular guy is not the favorite, it's a harder fight to make. And they haven't made it. They had a hard time, but they're staying on it, it appears. And Masvidal was offered that fight. I'm going a little bit off of memory here. I get you at least 95% of the way there. Masvidal was offered that fight, said no, I, and there, he, there was a reason. There was an injury. And nothing to do with Gilbert, the money, the terms, everything. All fight. That date won't work for me. And that was the way of avoiding that fight. Now, Masvidal's real belief for doing that was Leon had just become world champion and Masvidal thought three-piece in a so this may have an opportunity. I must keep my dance card open. It was very tactical, but it was also very transparent. Now that, that there's still steam around that, right? We got to do something big for Gilbert next. Gilbert deserves something big. Masvidal's big. It's not the only thing, but he's big. And it seems like a match that we're not moving on from because nothing's been booked for either one of them. Masvidal's tune hasn't changed. Give me Leon. Leon's not full yet. All of us are still open, and I'm not going to quit trying to get my shot doing everything right. Burns is a little bit more quiet. He's ready to take on anybody, but he would like the Masvidal fight because it's a massive fight. Everybody's doing everything right. Leon is open to any suggestion, which is what he needs to do because he's the champion. You don't run and hide from anybody. Everybody's doing everything right. But Leon is the one that has restoked this by saying, Masvidal, if you'd like to get to me, you have my blessing, go through him, which is Burns. Every which way we go, we keep on ending up with Masvidal and Burns. Can't separate each other. So those are two fights that's out there. So I want to share. I want to get a little back and forth going here. What you think that's about? Where you think that should be? Should those be main events? We realize if we tie Khabib's suggestion in, which Khabib's the one that started it, it's the reason the reporter asked Poirier about Darush. The reason he asked was because of the tweet by Khabib, but the tweet by Khabib also included a location which was Perth. So if we go over there, we know it's not a main event, right? I mean, see how there's a lot of things? See how this isn't just easy? There's a whole bunch of things that you got to bring together to make some of these matches. So I just want to know where you're at. I'd like to know if you if you had the power, right? Hand you the, the magic wand. What do you think about those two? Gilbert Masvidal, we in? If so, what's on the line? I want to ask you the same thing. It's never going to get any hotter. This is never going to boil. If you're dealing with Benny, you're dealing with Dustin. You're dealing with a straight competition. And that's awesome. And it's rare. But now we have a job to do. So if you were to do that job of those two matches, talk to me about it. Tell me a little about what you do. Respectful. Guys, it's not a word that I use overly often, and I don't think that you do either. And I don't know that we really even care to see it within the space of MMA. But there is something very respectful that is happening and being shown specifically to Volkanovsky. I have not seen a 155 pounder. I mean, that is murderer's row. The most difficult division in our entire industry 
Not just this era of the sport, the most difficult division in the entire industry, any way you want to do it, 155 pounds. And nobody is arguing that Volk is going to slide up and take that opportunity. How come? How come? Is it because it didn't catch us off guard? I mean, this was telegraph. This was extremely telegraphed. This was Volk coming out and talking about interviews about maybe going up to 155 and then Volk demanding that he be in the backup position and Dana putting him in the backup position, having him weigh in. I mean, is that, is that why we just, we, we, we just slowly accepted it? It wasn't a band-aid getting ripped off situation where the name came out in the press release and we didn't know where it came from. Or is it because he's so damn good? A number one contender is supposed to mean that you are the best amongst the field. You have proven it. There's one question left, which is, can you, as the representative of the field, beat the guy that's got the championship? That's what it's supposed to mean. We don't always get to do that, right? Things move really quickly and... Is the field saying that Volk is the toughest amongst all of us? Are they showing a respect to the 14 or 15 and 0? Are they showing an appreciation that he had the courage to fly to be in a backup position, take on one of two hammers on less than 24 hour notice? What part of it has everybody accepting this so much? Because there is a narrative that Volk is not the hardest opponent and isn't the most likely to beat Islam. But but hold on, let's just dig into that, right? And we don't know. We haven't seen him throw the punches yet. But if, if we were to get together as a community, what do we think? Do we think there's a harder matchup out there for Islam? Do you think Poirier would be harder? Do you think Gaethje would be harder? Just for example, you got Chandler, you got Benny DeRouge, right? You got some really good guys to choose from. To be the number one contender, to be going into that spot, to be in that coveted position is supposed to mean that you've already risen above that. And what do you think? Because it was just, I mean, it was three short weeks ago where another discussion in our community was going on that Islam shouldn't be fighting Charles in the first place. That Islam is not what I just described as a number one contender. He is not somebody who has clearly shown he's better than the field. He had a great record and he had it for a, a lot of time, but they weren't over high enough ranked guys. I mean, just for example, this was really believed. Then he goes in there with the champion and it's completely dominant. You go, oh, I'm all right with that. Like, right, we've got to have this back and forth. I'm just asking, have we all accepted the fact that Volk is the toughest challenge for Islam? Wild spot. And we got Benny DeRouche that's being very quiet, but Dustin Poirier is showing an interest in taking on Benny. And Khabib, if he could mastermind it, would put that on the same card as Islam and Volk are going to fight. And Khabib's doing that for one reason, which is if something happens to Volkanovsky, we've already got two guys ready. They can come up and take on my disciple. But I don't hear anybody going after Volk. And I'm okay with it. This isn't my typical, let's get some banter, let's get going back and forth. Start to align yourself and hedge your bet now. It's just an observation I think it leads to respect. I think people have appreciated what Volk has done. 
I think they do see that 15-0. and 0. I think they do see a guy that put himself in a backup position, a job nobody else asked for. Not only he asked for it, he demanded it. Not only did he demand for it, he flew out there and he did it. He got his paperwork done. He got on to wait. He did a training camp. It wasn't joking. He jumped in the ring instantly when called upon and went face-to-face -face with the champion. I think there's a real appreciation shown for that. They're, they're talking about intramean. Volk's title, the 145-pound title. And they went to Volk on that, and they asked him if he has a problem with that, and he said no. And I'm going to share with you, and I know that I'm in the minority, I like the interim championship. I like opportunity. I like when we can give a little bit of rub and a little bit of shine to everybody. I like the way the Olympic Games does it. Like, it's hard enough to get to that position, and once you get there and you fail, but there's still three. There's a few people that will be recognized. I, I kind of like that. And I know sports are very cutthroat and there's only one. I, I I get the whole thing. I like the interim championship. I like it for those very reasons. And they asked Volk about it. And Volk said, no, he didn't have a problem with the fact that they were going to interim that. And, but I appreciated that because I've heard other guys complain. I've had other champions come out and complain that somebody else is going to be given an opportunity. And I feel as though like I've got to come out and explain it. Wait a minute. You aren't being stripped. They aren't taking your glory away. Your glory is still there, but there's another piece of glory, and two other guys are going to get to go for it. So I really appreciated what Volk said no, and Volk even elaborated on it. He said, that way I'll know who's next. I'll have real clear marching orders. Regardless of what happens in my quest up here at 55, this will be resolved. I'll know who my next opponent, which is hard for Volk. A lot of guys, they don't call him out. They don't make waves. They don't go after him. They'll talk about, I want a title opportunity. I want to be champion. They'll do it. They don't say Alex Volkanovsky. So instead of doing this big dance, pomp and circumstance, they're going to isolate it. He'll be able to look down, right? The one thing that we do know about the interim championship is you are now next for the undisputed championship. That's one thing that hasn't yet been corrupted within our sport. And I think that was nice. I think that that was appropriate by Volkanovsky. I think that it was respectful, but I think he's getting shown that respect back. And I would be curious, if we could get a little bit of a dialogue, I would be curious, are we giving him that respect because we like him? Are we giving him that respect because he's ranked number one? We're giving him respect because we just don't want to push back. He seems like a decent guy. Or are we giving him that respect because we do look at the field and we do look at him and we do believe that he fits the criteria and the definition that he's the best guy that we have to offer to take on the champion right now. To close out today's program, let's revisit the middleweight division and some conversation that I've been hearing regarding our new champion. The kids on the underground, boy, it didn't take them long. The kids on the underground have a thread, a heavily supported thread. Alex Piera is the worst middleweight champion of all time. That's the claim. Now you need supporting evidence. The evidence is he's the champion of the world and Bo Nickel could beat him and Bo Nickel has never even fought in the UFC before. That's the statement. There it is. Boom. It would appear... If you were good at wrestling, that you could take him down. It would appear that. Now, we haven't seen that. We, like, we don't actually have evidence of that. 
We saw Pierre on bottom after a scramble that was a takedown attempt initiated by him as he flipped his hips, came out on top. There didn't appear at least within that sequence to be a submission threat or a reversal threat. That specific sequence was very workmanlike. Turn over, protect yourself, get up to your feet, turn and face him. I agree, that is what we saw. How based on that do we come to the conclusion that he is the worst champion ever? How based on that do we come to the conclusion that a very good wrestler would go out there and defeat him? How do we dismiss it? How are we so sure? It seems like a very bold statement, even if factual. But can we back it up from there? If you believe that you're a really good wrestler or you believe that you have a really good wrestler and you're going to send him out, Regardless of what you might believe of Piera's wrestling and or groundwork, regardless of that, let me just take other things at random from Piera's career. Do you and or the person you know, are you sure that they have what it takes to lose 53 pounds and beat the scale the day before? I probably largely just eliminated your entire field. You, if you're one that thinks you could do it, or whoever your really tough guy you know is. I probably just eliminated, but maybe not. Maybe yes. Yes, they've got the mental and the physical toughness. They can lose 53 pounds. Okay, great. Do you believe that they could walk into a main event and deal with those pressures? Do you believe that they could stand opposite the most dangerous man in the world whose skill set is not about extending your arm or cutting off blood flow in form of oxygen. His skill set is to knock you unconscious. Do you and or your friend have what it takes to go and stand opposite him? All right, so you found so you know somebody that can lose the 53 pounds and you know somebody that can deal with the pressures. Okay. Do you and or this person that you know are you confident that they have the work ethic and the wherewithal to be able to go out in unarmed combat, anything goes, just don't bring a weapon, anything, and have the energy to go for 22 minutes hard, live, in front of the world after a 53-pound weight cut. Because these are all things that go into it. Mr. He's not any good. Mister, he could be taken down and controlled. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, but let's just look at a few other things. Do you and or the person that you're speaking of believe at random? You can choose from the absolute worst of the deck at random. We will take all of the signed middleweights under the Ultimate Fighting Championship. We're going to grab three of them, and your friend's going to have to beat those three just to be given the opportunity to lose the 53 pounds, to walk out in front of the world and show that he's got the conditioning, the grit, and the toughness to go 22 minutes. Before we get to that, can he beat three guys under the roster? Won't even say who they are. It's just three. Signed, established fighters, yes or no. And you start to see where this, this starts to be a little bit different than what your eyes showed you. Starts to be, well, it's not just a matter of take the guy down. It's not just a matter of control him. If my guy can't put him away and can't find a finish, five minutes later, they're going to bring us back up to our feet and reset this. 
And my guy's gonna have to go and do it again. So it's not a matter of you and or yourself seeing a grappling deficit and believing that you can take him down and or keep him there. You've got to be able to take him down and or keep him there five times in one evening after cutting 53 pounds, having all of the pressures, having the baddest dude in the world standing across from you with the entire world watching. And before you ever got there, you took three guys signed to the Ultimate Fighting Championship and you beat them. I mean, there's a, there's really is a lot that goes into this. Before your lying eyes tell you that a guy has a deficit in a specific area, right? Because it has to do with a specific sequence. We're, we're making believe that Pierre doesn't have guard work, that he doesn't have reversals, that he can't go to his back, that he doesn't know umapaladas and triangles and guillotine chokes. I mean, we're, we're, we're imagining that. Likely a pretty good guess, but but we are still imagining that. We haven't actually seen it. That hasn't actually been tested. There was a sequence where the way he chose to deal with it was to go to knee, grappling, they call it a turtle position. I, I find myself, I have, to, I have to buy into some of these weird terms, like, right, as soon as the announcers say it on TV, it's called a turtle position, right? Yeah, okay, fine, he's on his knees. So a referee's position, but we'll call it turtle. His way of electing to deal with the proposition that he was in right now and negotiating that situation was to go to his knees and stand up to his feet. Perhaps it looked sloppy in doing it, but it was the only thing that he tried. He didn't have two and three and four other options that got exhausted and got shut down, and so he went to this one and had success. He attempted one thing, which was go to the turtle position, and then he wanted to get back up to his feet, which he did and possibly look sloppy doing it. I'm sharing with you for you to then suppose that somebody better in that position, somebody with more skill, a higher ranked belt, a more traditional grappler could have held him there. I'm just sharing with you. Look at all the things that they would have had to overcome first. And in the final analysis, if you're right and your guy could have had good moments in that position or longer moments in any, how is he? How, how many do you think he can have? Because we're on the clock. He doesn't, he doesn't get Xfinity good minutes here. He doesn't get to hold him down forever. He's got a five-minute frame. The referee's going to bring him right back up. So how sure are you really that this is the worst ever? How sure are you really that those other champions could have beat him? And which champion is it that you think had the grappling power to get him down in the first place? I mean, what champion do you think? If this is the worst ever, then we're already putting him in a category of only champions. We're not going through the field. We're not going through the roster. We're just going to look at other champions. What champion at middleweight wrestling and grappling was so dominant that you know he could take Pierre down? He could keep him there and or finish him or be able to do it for the better part of five rounds. Rockholt was champion. Do you think Rockholt just comes down and takes him down? Bisping was champion. Does Bisping just come out and take him down? Anderson Silva was champion. Does he just come out and take him down? If so, and he keeps him there. Robert Whitaker was champion. Do you think he just comes out and takes him down? I mean, I'll play this game with you all day. I'm not trying to juxtapose Pierre uh, uh, against some of your heroes. I'm just asking you, which hero is it that you're so sure could walk in there and handle Pierre that makes Pierre the worst? That means he has the least amount of skills? Seems like a very bold statement to make. And it seems like you have very little evidence to be making that statement. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. 
And remember, if you want to support the show, you can give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to leave us a five-star review. And we might just read it on the next show. I'll be back with another episode on Tuesday. Guys, until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>